0: Let's pray. Father, we would ask that you would help us to see Jesus this morning. Would you help us to see Jesus in the story of the Good Samaritan? Would you help us to see ourselves? Would you help us to truly believe in the bottom of our hearts that you see us with compassion? We pray this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. So our gospel passage this morning is one that is really familiar. Good Samaritan It's one that we've all heard preached, that we've all heard taught, probably over and over again. So it's one that's actually been really dear in the life and in the history of the church for a couple thousand years. It's rich, it's got a lot of layers. And over those couple of thousands of years, there have been a few different ways that the church has read this story, a few different ways that Christians have looked at this, not, not ways that are in conflict with each other, but Different ways of reading that kind of focus on different things. So a lot of people have read this story, and they've really focused on the historical aspects of it because they wanted to know, okay, what did the disciples hear when they heard this? What did the lawyer who asked the question hear when Jesus said this to him? So they'd focus on things like how the lawyer's question has these echoes of Deuteronomy and Leviticus. They might talk about the different kinds of barriers that get broken, the kind of differences in status between priests and Levites and Samaritans. Or maybe other ways that they've read it have been the kind of ethical way, really focusing on, like, what is Jesus calling us to do? When he says, go and do likewise, what does he mean? What does it mean for us to follow Jesus in this story? And those are all really important ways of reading the parable. But the oldest way of reading it sees that the very sinner, Jesus, recognizes that first and foremost, Jesus is actually talking about himself and that all the other layers, all of the other meanings actually flow out of that. Jesus is the good Samaritan. So here's some clues, um, some reasons why the church has thought this. So one reason is that when, when he says the Samaritan had compassion, it's actually echoing language that we've seen in other places in Luke to talk about God and to talk about Jesus. So in Zachariah's song, Zachariah is the father of John the Baptist, When he sings or when he prays after John the Baptist is born, he says, in the tender compassion of our God, the dawn from on high shall break upon us. Same kind of language. Jesus in Luke 7 sees a widow who has just lost her only son, a widow who is forlorn because she's now alone. And Jesus sees her and is moved with compassion. Same language that we have here for the Samaritan, when he sees this guy who's been beaten up by robbers and kind of left for dead on the side of the road. There's another clue that's kind of buried in there the chapter before this, uh, Luke chapter 9, is a bit of a pivot point for the whole book. It's a pivot point for all of Jesus's ministry. So for the first half of Jesus's ministry, he's in Galilee, but in chapter 9, he starts to talk very clearly about his death that's coming, and that death is going to be a death in Jerusalem. So the pivot point for the book is when Jesus sets his face to go to Jerusalem. He sets his face to go to Jerusalem because his death is going to be there. Well, in this story, it's very clear that the um, the man who's beaten, is leaving Jerusalem and going to Jericho. And it's pretty clear that the priest and the Levite also are coming down from Jerusalem and going to Jericho. So those three characters are actually going in the opposite direction of where Jesus is going. It's unclear what direction the Samaritan is going, but it stands out a little bit. I think we're meant to see Jesus going to Jerusalem, kind of in opposition to these priests and these Levites who are going the other way. One other clue that the church is seen in there is in the anointing with with oil and wine. The oil and the wine that the Good Samaritan pours on this man's wounds. The church has read that to be the sacraments of baptism and the Eucharist. The oil of the anointing of baptism, the wine from the Eucharist. Jesus is showing himself here through the character of the Good Samaritan. Here's kind of the gist of what he's saying. Jesus is the one who has actually fulfilled the law all the way to the bottom, all the way to the end. He's the one who has loved God and loved neighbor perfectly. I think this is part of why Jesus responds to this pretty simple question, um, not by kind of exegeting the, the answer, right? Not by exegeting love the Lord your God, love your neighbor. He's not explaining that because that part's simple. The part that the, that the lawyer doesn't get is like, well, how, how do I do that? Are you going to do that? What would it look like if you did that? What's going to happen if you can't do it? That's why Jesus is answering this question with a story, specifically a story about himself. Here's the other side to that. If this parable of the Good Samaritan is about Jesus, if Jesus is showing himself in it as the Samaritan, where do we show up in it? And we can see ourselves a little bit in the lawyer who's asking this question but really trying to justify himself we'll do that. You can kind of see us in the innkeeper who gets pulled into Jesus's ministry because he pulls us into his ministry. But first and foremost, at the center of this story, if Jesus is the good Samaritan, we have to see ourselves as the one who's been beaten down, as the one that the Samaritan finds on the road, wounded and left for dead, and the one that he shows mercy to. There are a couple of ways that historically Christians have have understood that idea. So first is that this, this guy who's beaten down on the road, this is the sort of universal picture of humanity. This is all of us, right, from Adam and Eve onward. Beaten up, left for dead by evil, beaten up and wounded by the powers of this world. More than anything, just beaten up by our own sin. Sounds a lot like the language that Paul uses throughout the New Testament. You were dead in your trespasses and sins, but God raised you up from the dead. You were dead in your trespasses, but God has made you alive in Jesus. There are a lot of places where Paul talks about us that way. All of us. Dead in our sin. Dead in our trespasses. Just like this guy who's been left for dead on the side of the road. Beaten up and wounded by sin. And Jesus' response to that, to that wretched state, is that he takes human nature into himself. The one who could actually keep the law perfectly does it as a human because he's brought humanity into his own life washes us with his blood, just like this man washed him with with wine and with oil, anoints us with his spirit, gives us his resurrection life. And he doesn't just stop there. Because you could even say that Jesus becomes the beaten man himself. He's going to be beaten. He's going to be turned on by the ones that he came to save. He's going to have his clothes taken away from him. He's the one who's actually going to give his own blood to pay that price. I'll give you another clue. This is my favorite clue that the Samaritan is meant to be Jesus. When when the Samaritan goes to the inn with this man who's been beaten up, he carries him in there on 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 his animal, he gives the innkeeper two denarii to pay for his care. A denarius is one day's wage, so he pays two days' wages. But he doesn't just stop there. He leaves kind of an open tab. He says, when I come back, I'm going to pay back whatever else it takes Whatever else you had to pay to take care of him, I'll pay you back. Jesus pays our price with two days in the grave. He rises on the third, brings, offers eternal life, but there's also an open-ended tab that he's going to finish at the end when he comes back, fully giving eternal life. Two days' wages, but also open-ended. And we can talk about how that beaten man is all of humanity, We can see that kind of big picture. We can see how it's universal, how this big scope, all of humankind brought into Jesus. But we also need to be able to just simply see ourselves there. Not just as some abstract humanity, but like me and you and you as individuals. You've been beaten up by sin. You've been wounded by sin. Sin has choked out your heart. Sin has hardened your heart to the only one who could actually satisfy you and give you joy. You've also been beaten up by the powers of this world or by even the sins of others. You've even just been beaten up by this broken world itself. We feel that in the ways that our bodies break down. We feel it in the way that we grieve when we lose something. We feel that in the guilt or the shame or the blame that we carry around with ourselves. We feel these wounds. We have to see this if we're going to understand Jesus' message. When the Samaritan sees this beaten man in the road, when Jesus sees us stripped and helpless and left for dead, he's moved with compassion. We have to see that because if you're like me, then there's still a part of you that is actually convinced that Jesus is probably a little bit disgusted with you. Like he moves to help you because of his good character, but he doesn't like you, and he's not pleased with you. That's not the picture that we see here in the Samaritan. He doesn't respond with disgust, but with mercy and compassion. He hurts with us, and he hurts for us, and he has come to save us. Now, all of this is beautiful, but when Jesus said this to the the lawyer, it kind of looks like it just bounced off a pretty thick skull. The lawyer couldn't hear or see this call to love without boundaries or without limits because he couldn't first see himself as someone who needed mercy. Remember what it said was his, was his whole point in asking this question, or the, at least the follow-up question. He wanted to justify himself. He couldn't see himself as someone who needed mercy, and so that meant that he also couldn't see his neighbors, um, even people that he would have felt were his enemies, as people who needed mercy too. Because he couldn't see himself as the beaten up man left for dead, he couldn't see his neighbors in the same way. We're liable to that same danger. I think we struggle to see ourselves fundamentally as people who are dead, in need of rescue by a compassionate Savior because we've been left beaten and helpless. And so in turn, if we can't see ourselves that way, then we also struggle to see other people that way. So we can see this in the ways that we respond to people who just bother us or need stuff from us. We, we, we kind of attach to them that irritation, but we don't see them as what they are, people who are in desperate need. We can see this in the way that we respond to athletes or celebrities or people that we worship or admire. Like we see the glory of the things that we do, and we're impressed and awed by it, but we don't actually see that there are also people who are deeply in need of mercy. It's really, really easy to forget this in a time like right now when there's so much just political and social noise, that we're constantly surrounded by people with their own different kind of competing agendas, competing agendas, and especially with issues that are hot topics right now, like abortion or sexuality or things happening in schools, that it's so easy for us to hear people who disagree with us, who are even angry, and angry maybe even at us, and to want to feel threatened or defensive, and we so easily forget that these are people who are desperately hurting. They may not recognize it, but they are in desperate need of a savior. Just like us, there are people who have been beaten down and left for dead by sin on the side of the road, just like we have been, and they need mercy. Maybe in an even more mundane way, it's easy for us to forget this when we look at our friends or our family or our neighbors who have everything together and everything is fine. Everything seems to be going well for them and everyone looks up to them, but they are in the same need of mercy as, as we are. And the need for that mercy is urgent. Unfortunately, the cost was too high for the lawyer. Couldn't give up that desire to justify himself. Didn't seem to have the motivation to see himself as someone in need of mercy. And because of that, he couldn't see others as people in need of that same mercy. Couldn't see the depth of his need. It doesn't have to be like that for us. It's not like that for us. And we're even, I love this about our service, we're even going to practice it. We said this... This good Samaritan is a picture of Jesus who comes down to the one who's in need. We're about to stand up and confess our faith. We're about to to stand up and talk about the one who, for us and for our salvation, came down from heaven. And then after that, we're going to sit down or get on our knees and we're going to confess that we're the ones who are in desperate need of mercy. We're going to say that we're sinners and we need to be saved by a compassionate Savior. And then after that, we're going to receive the life that he gives and pardon and in the bread and in the wine. All of those things scream to us that we do not need to justify ourselves. We cannot justify ourselves. There's no value in that. There's no need, no value, no reward in hiding from the truth that that is who we are. People who have been beaten down and wounded by sin, but who have been shown mercy. Jesus has made you his, brought you to a place of healing and transformed you. There is no need for self-justification or to hide from our sin anymore. And if all that's true, it also means that we don't have to justify our hard hearts towards others. We don't have to justify ourselves for the times that we have failed to show mercy or just been apathetic towards the fact that the people around us desperately need the mercy of Jesus. Jesus' call at the end of the story to go and do likewise is a really heavy one. But what we can remember is that Jesus is the one who has already paid for us, the one who has already paid the two denarii for us and for them, and the tab is open. So my prayer is that we would remember our own need, that in remembering our own desperate need for mercy, they would also make the desperate need of the people around us heavy on our hearts would we carry that need before the Father? Would we carry that need before Christ and lay it down before his feet? And will we follow him in the ways that he would actually call us to extend that mercy? The people around us need mercy as urgently and as desperately as we do. Let our prayer be that they would actually receive that mercy as God works through us, as we would be the hands and feet of this good Samaritan Jesus who has been moved with compassion for us. It's a heavy calling, but he has already paid that price. Amen.